0: Well, good morning again, everybody. It is so good uh, to be able to come together and uh, worship together uh, through song and through the reading of God's word, through communion and giving tithes and offerings, and uh, now being able to go uh, further into God's word um, through the message this morning. And so, um, if you are new with us, yes, we do want to welcome you. We are so glad that you are here with us this morning. Um, And so, we're excited to be able to uh, worship with you and that you would spend uh, part of your Sunday morning with us today. Now, if you're new with us, or maybe you've missed the past couple of weeks, what we like to do is just take a few moments at the beginning of the sermon to be able to kind of recap where we've been, just like when you watch TV, and it'll show like previously on this show, and it tells you kind of the backstory of what's been going on. I want to give you a, a background of where we've been in this series, because this is the final week of our Share Your Style series. And the whole idea behind this series was recognizing that we all have different ways that God has created us, different styles of sharing our faith. And that we might think it's only, you know, the only way we know how to share our faith is like Billy Graham and a big crusade. Well, that's, that's not going to be most of us. Or the only way that, to share our faith is through apologetics and knowing that. Well, that, that might not be most of us. And maybe the only way is to do something where you just are sharing with someone one-on-one over a long time. And... Maybe that's not all of us. And so it's one of those, we wanted to take some time to look at these six different styles. And these styles come from uh, Becoming a Contagious Christian by Mark Middleberg, Lee Strobel, and Bill Hybels. So uh, it's a great resource. And so I'm indebted to them um, for a lot of the ideas from this message series. But what we wanted to do is recognize that God has created us certain ways in order to share our faith. But that doesn't mean, A, that we shouldn't learn about other styles. B, it doesn't mean that that's the... Only way we'll ever be called to serve. It might be our natural bent, but there might be a time where if you are someone who is, likes to serve, there might be a time where you need to be direct with someone and need to be able to share the gospel clearly. That maybe you're someone who's more interpersonal in relationship, but maybe through those relationships, there's some really hard questions you need to go through the intellectual style and dive into apologetics. That these are not mutually exclusive, but It's important for us to learn about the other, it's important for us to lean into the one that we are most most naturally inclined to follow, and it's important for us ultimately to listen to the Holy Spirit and to be willing to serve other people by the way that we share our faith, and not only do it the way that's comfortable to us, but recognize that there are times in which we will be called to be stretched so that other people can know who Jesus is. With all that said, I just want to give you the main points from our previous week's in the previous different styles. That the first style we looked at was a direct style of evangelism. And this one, the main point was that direct evangelism, evangelism if I could go slower, uh, may come across as being in your face. But the motivation is to help people meet Jesus face to face. It might feel direct, but sometimes we need that directness In order to make that step of faith and to actually meet Jesus for who he is. The next one we look at was the intellectual style. The idea that faith in Jesus doesn't mean we check our brains at the door. That for many, it is through their brains that they will walk through the door of faith. That many of us are wired to learn the logical, the reason, um, the analytical reasons for our faith. And so that's how we're created and we're wired, and that's how many people come to know Jesus. So it doesn't mean we have to check our faith at the door, or sorry, check our brains at the door to know Jesus. Because many people will know Jesus that if you seek truth, genuinely seek truth, as Jeremiah twenty-nine thirteen talks about, and as Matthew seven, seven talks about, that if we genuinely seek him with our own heart, we will find him. And if Jesus is the way, the life, and the truth, if people are genuinely seeking truth, they will find Jesus. The next one we saw was week three, and this was the serving style. And the main point for this was that our actions for the gospel are equally as important as our voice for the gospel. That for many people, by serving them with our hands and loving them with our hearts, it'll open up the opportunity for them to hear us with, their, with our mouths and their ears. And so it's an opportunity for us to recognize that sometimes by serving, that opens the door through which people will come to know Jesus. And then we can share about them when the decision comes or when the time comes to be able to have a reason for the hope that we have. The next week that we looked at, week four, was the idea of the testimonial style. And this is the one we looked at that people love a good story. And what better story can you tell than how Jesus changed your life? So being able to share, maybe it's a three-minute, like here, here's what God has done. Or maybe it's a longer chat over a cup of coffee over a meal when you're just able to share what God has done and follow the example that Jesus gave to the, the demon-possessed man in Mark 5 that said, go and tell them how much the Lord has done for you. That that's the crux of what it means to have a testimonial style of evangelism. And this is my first natural one, but doesn't mean I can't be stretched in others. The next one, uh, last week, was Week 5. And it said that by being a real friend, you can show that the gospel is real, that this was the interpersonal style or the relational style of evangelism, that it's through friendship and the foundation of that friendship that you can then build a relationship and then you're able to point them to a relationship with Jesus. And that by being a real friend, you can show that the gospel is real. So we're going to close up our final one this week, looking at the invitational style. But before we do, I would ask that you join me in a word of prayer as we dive into what God has for us. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for who you are. And I thank you for each and every person that is in this room and each and every person that is listening online later. Lord, I pray that they know that each and every person knows that they are loved by you. And I pray that uh, they will experience that love, whether it's Through the time of worship and singing we've already had, or through the worship of reading your word, or the worship of communion, or things like that, Lord, that they would feel your love, um, and that we'd also be able to feel that through your word um, as we dive in for the message this morning. God, I pray that I would decrease, that you would increase, that you would speak in a powerful, personal, impactful way to each and every one of us, and we give you all the honor, the glory, and the praise, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, we're talking about the invitational style today, and it's something where this is actually one of the styles that as a church, maybe not necessarily our church, yes, we do this too, but churches in general, this is the style that many of us kind of fall back to. Hey, invite your friends to this, and we want that to happen. Not all of us are always as comfortable with that. But what's interesting is that you know it's all the little things that with my daughters, when you know, they Shailen draws a uh, picture. She found this uh, YouTube channel where it shows you, like, how to draw things. And she's great at art. And so it's one of those where she's, like, learning how to draw it. And it's, like, you know, bunnies and, like, panda bears and, like, waffles. I mean, very specific. Um, but it's one of those where they draw it. And it's, like, the way they do it is, like, the dad draws it here, who's an artist, and he's really good at this. And then his child draws it right next. So you could see kind of, like, a kid's interpretation of it. And so it's really, really cool. Um, side note. I have very little artistic skill, and so uh, Shaylin was like, Daddy, if we were to do this video, I would be the one teaching you how to draw, and I'm like, <laughs> yes, you are right, honey, that is actually very true, um, but it's one of those where once she finishes it, once she finishes one of those drawings, and she drew like five or six yesterday, what is it that she says? She says, Daddy, come see this. Daddy, come see what this looks like, and so, you know, she'll show the picture of these little bunnies stacked on each other, or she had these ones that... It was folded, and you drew, like, a dog, and then you, like, pulled it apart, the pieces of paper, you folded it, you drew it, and when you fold it apart, it's, like, layers of dog, like, it's very clever, and it's one of those where she's just so excited, what? To ask someone she loves to come and see what it is that she's done, and it's just so basic to us. Even this morning, as I was getting ready, the girls weren't, are, are sick, and so I was sitting with Elise, and outside, there was just a cat that was outside in our backyard, and something. Nothing revolutionary. I'm like, honey, come look and see it. Come see there's a cat. And Shailen got up and she wanted to see it too. And again, this is not a revolutionary idea. But when we have something that we want others to enjoy or partake in, we just say, come and see. It's the same thing that when we had a meeting here a couple of nights, or a couple of weeks ago uh, for some of the leadership meetings. And it was like a beautiful sunset. And we just say, hey, stop. Why don't you go look out? Just look outside and see how beautiful the sunset is. We do this all the time. We invite people to partake in something we enjoy or that is something meaningful for us all of the time. And so for our main point today, the idea we're going to land on is that before people come to faith in Jesus, they may need someone to invite them to come and see more about Jesus. That before people come to faith in Jesus, they may need someone to invite them to come and see more about Jesus, and it's something that maybe you can remember the first time that someone invited you to church. Maybe you grew up in the faith, and so uh, your parents had you go to church, and it wasn't so much an invitation as a declaration, like we're going to church today, uh, but for others of you, maybe you didn't grow up in the church, and so you remember that time where a friend or an extended family member or another student in class or a coworker or whatever has invited you to church for the first time, and, and it's just this idea of, hey, come and see Uh, Come and see about my church. Maybe it is because we're having an Easter brunch. And that's a great way because, like Melissa said, food and, I mean, yes, let's do this. Like, there are ways that we can have people come and see and invite them and to make that invitation, even when it's not always comfortable. So what we're going to do is we're going to have you turn into John chapter 4. Uh, we're going to start in verse 27. And so this is on page 1653 in the Bibles. If, if you're unaware, there's Bibles in front of you and um, the seats below and the seat rack be- before you. Um, we're in 1653. And if you have your uh, own Bible with you, uh, John chapter four, verse 27 is where we will start off. And this is an example, a biblical example of the invitational style of evangelism. Now, When we look at John chapter 4, a lot of times when we hear that, if if we've been to church uh, for a little while, the story we always go to is the woman at the well and Jesus. And that's the first 26 verses of this passage. It's the one in which it talks about how Jesus had a conversation with the woman at the well, that the woman came in the, in the heat of the day rather than early morning or, or early evening because she was ostracized and she was set apart from the people because she has a sordid past in which she's had five husbands and the current man she's with is not her husband. And so she was an outcast in her in her area in Samaria. And so because of that, she would go at separate times in order to draw water from the well because she needed it. But what she didn't need was the ridicule that came with coming when everyone else was there. And so we see the story of how Jesus speaks with her and says, you know, woman, give me some drink. And and then he talks about how, well, if you really want the living water, you know, it's not from this well. She's like, well, sir, please give me this living water. And he talks about how he's the living water and that you'll never thirst. And she says, sir, I you know, how do I know about you? And then you worship here and you do that. And he's like, listen, I know that the five men that you've, your previous husbands, you've had five of them. And the man you're with is not your husband. And she just says, sir, I know that you are a prophet and recognizes more about it. And he says, you know, come to me if you're thirsty and you can have eternal life, that you can have this water that does not run out. And so that's kind of where we pick up the story because then in verse 27, this is where we hit on this next part. And so it says this, just then his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman, but no one asked, what do you want? Or why are you talking with her? Verse 28, then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? They came out of the town and made their way toward him. But the first point that we have in your notes, there is this idea that the woman couldn't keep her encounter with Jesus to herself she ran off and invited others to see him. Now, one of the little details that I, that I love in this section is just the idea that in verse 28, then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people that, the whole reason she was there was to go with her water jar to refill the water, to get water. And the, the encounter with Jesus was so important, so life-changing, so eye-opening, so heart-rending that she left the jar behind. That the reason she had come to that place was not the reason why she was leaving it. It was so much more important that because she had had an encounter with Jesus that she left behind that which she had originally intended to go there for. And so it was so important that she just ran off. She couldn't keep it to herself, herself, left the water jar behind, and just ran off to talk to the other people in the town. That this invitation to come and see is something that's embodied by the woman at the well, but that's not the only time we see it in the Gospels. That, for example, in John chapter 1, in verses 45 and 46, we see that Philip did something very similar with Nathanael. It says, Philip found Nathanael and told him, we have found the one Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nazareth, can anything good come from there? Nathaniel asked. Then Philip said, come and see. That it's this very simple, basic idea that when we've been changed by God, we want to invite someone else to see about it, to come and see what Jesus has done in our lives. We want them to come and experience that same thing in the same way that Shailen wants me to experience her drawings or we want to experience a sunset or whatever it is, is that it's a basic thing that, hey, I love this thing that's happened to me. I love you. And so I want you whom I love to experience that which I love. Come and see more about it. And so it's this idea of just recognizing that she couldn't keep the encounter to herself. And I think that might be where some of us, not all of us, but some of us have the hard time, is that Jesus has done a good thing, amazing thing, a powerful thing, a life-changing, eye-opening, heart-rending thing in our lives. But the longer that's happened, or sorry, the further away that's happened in the past, or, or the longer it's been, maybe it's easy for us to keep that encounter to ourselves. That we don't always have that same urgency that the woman at the well had to leave her jar behind to go and reach others and to share that encounter with, that she had with Jesus with them. I'm, uh, I've mentioned before I'm very blessed to be part of a um, senior pastor group of um, uh, people who uh, In San Diego County and a little bit in LA County that uh, Larry Osborne over in North Coast just opens up his doors and and allows us to ask questions and wrestle with things. And it's such a sharpening iron, iron sharpening iron experience and things like that. And one of the things that he talks about, which I think makes a ton of sense, is that they have multiple campuses, but he shares that his idea for doing different campuses for he and uh, Chris Brown, they're both senior pastors, that the idea is not just to go and spread out anywhere and everywhere, what they do is they find communities in which a lot of their people are coming from, and they have to drive about 20 to 25 minutes to one of their other campuses. So for example, the San Marcos campus that's up here, that they found, North Coast found, that there's a lot of people here from Poway and RB that are driving to San Marcos. And for what Larry talks about is that for people who are committed to Jesus, who love the Lord and love the church, they will make that drive... 20 minutes is not far. That's not hard. But what he says is that 20 minutes, in his opinion, and I, and I think it makes sense, but 20 minutes is kind of the barrier for this idea of come and see evangelism. This idea that if you have a neighbor here in Poway or RB and you're going to a campus in San Marcos and you say, hey, come with me to my church. It's, it's in San Marcos. It's not that they wouldn't be interested, but they might be like, that's too far. And it's not that far, but that might feel that way to them. So he talks about how the 20-minute mark is kind of the end or or the barrier between come and see evangelism, which is why, whether you know or not, it's really exciting for me that North Coast just started a campus here at, um, at the high school right here or the middle school, I forget which one, but it's right here at RB. And so now what they're doing intentionally is not just building campuses to build campuses, they're going to the place where people that are driving a far distance They're going there in their neighborhood so that then those people can continue to invite their neighbors and say, hey, come and see about Jesus. It's very intentional and it's exciting recognizing that God is doing incredible things across multiple churches, across this city, across this county, across this state, across this nation, across this world. And it is a blessing for us to be able to join our voice in the choir of Christians and churches across this world that are singing praises to God. But ours is not less than or more than anyone else, but we are all able to sing our part to bring this beautiful melody and harmony unto the ears of Jesus and praising him every single week. So with that said, she couldn't keep the account unto herself. She ran off and invited others to see him. The next point is that many people believed in Jesus because of her testimony. I'm going to skip down to verses 39 through 40. Uh, The verses in between 31 through 38 are Jesus talking to uh, his disciples about the harvest. And so it's a great section. Um, But for the sake of time, I'm going to move forward to verses 39 through 40. It says, many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them and he stayed two days. That this kind of goes back to many people believed in, her, in Jesus because of her testimony. This more goes back to the testimonial style of, of evangelism we talked about two weeks ago. The idea that people love a good story. So what better story could you tell than how Jesus changed your life? And so she comes in, and because they knew this woman, because they knew her past and her present, because they knew that she was ostracized, because they knew that she would go at a separate time and and make sure that she was separated from everybody else because of the ridicule, because they knew her, they must have thought... You spend so much time trying to separate yourselves from us that if this is important enough for you to leave your water jar and this is important enough for you to risk ridicule coming to us, then there must be something that really happened to you. That there must have been a change that takes you from fear to boldness. In the same way that the disciples, when Jesus had died and he resurrected that they were, if you look at it, they were hiding in the, the upper room and the doors were locked as it talks about in John. And then it, all of a sudden it was this idea that when Jesus came amongst them and then they, you know, they touch his hands and all that stuff with doubting Thomas, all those things. But what happened was, is they went from a place of fear for fear of the Jews. They had locked in and they tried to hide to boldness of going and sharing who Jesus was, all the way to the point of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, which is what we started our series with six weeks ago. Something must have happened to move from fear to boldness. And that something was an encounter with Jesus. That the woman, because something had had to have happened, to go from fear to boldness for her to separate herself to I'm going to be bold and share with those people who I know will ridicule me. Something must have happened. And that was an encounter with Jesus. The next point there for you is that many more believed in Jesus. Many believed because of her testimony, many more believed in Jesus because they responded to her invitation to see who he was for themselves. Verses 41 and 42. And because of his words, many more became believers They said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves and we know that this man really is the savior of the world. That the truth is, is that when we are bold with our testimony, we move from fear to boldness and we are bold with sharing that with others, and then when we are bold with inviting other people to find out about Jesus, I think what happens is that sometimes when we invite someone to church or we invite someone um, to an event or whatever it might be, is that there's part of us that might be a fear of, of not like, will they be let down? But, will, you know, it's like, well, will they think less of me? What if, what if you know, the sermon isn't as good? Or what if the, the, whatever it is, there's different aspects of it. And there's a fear, a fear in which we think, what if I take this bold step? And then they either say no or they say yes and they don't like it or, or they don't like me now. And so we're still stuck in this fear to boldness spectrum. And so we might come across as like, oh, you know, c- come with me to my, to my church or to my Easter event or to something else. But then there's this fear that's still latent underneath it. Whereas the truth of the matter is that it's our job to bring Jesus to men. We share the gospel. We live it out. We, we tell people about who Jesus is. It's our job to bring Jesus to people, but it's the Holy Spirit's job to bring people to Jesus. So we get to be a part of the process. But as we look at it, 1 Corinthians 3, it's, it's Paul plants the seeds and Apollos waters them, but it's God who brings the growth. We don't know where we are in that spectrum. We might be the waters, the waterers. We might be the seed planters. We might be the one who gets to see there, be there for the harvest, but we are not the one that is bringing about the growth. We just get to be a witness to it and a blessing about it. So, so when it comes to this idea that people respond to our invitation, some people can say no, but just because someone says no, doesn't mean a, that we stop asking and inviting and just because someone says no doesn't mean that's the end of their story. Then in Luke chapter 14, we see the parable of the great banquet. We're not, we're not going to turn there, but for your reference, it's Luke 14, 15 through 24, and, and it's this great banquet that Jesus talks about in the parable, and he shares, and he invites people, and they say, oh, I'm, I just got married, so I'm not going to go, or oh, you know, I just got some land, I need to check it out, and they come up with these excuses. And then all of a sudden, the, the messengers come back, and like, you know, no one's coming, and The master just says, go out to the roads and just invite everybody and anybody. That the invitation to experience the great banquet, the invitation to experience right relationship with God can go out to everyone. And some people will say no, but it doesn't mean that we stop asking other people. It doesn't mean that we stop inviting. It doesn't mean that we get stuck. We step forth in boldness and that once that doesn't work out, that we just then hover again in fear. It means that we can still keep asking, still keep inviting, still keep stepping up, and still letting people know that, hey, I just want you to come and see about Jesus. I just want you to come and see. Many of us have been invited to church or things before, and maybe it just wasn't the right season in our lives, or we just didn't, it didn't connect, and then all of a sudden it did. I remember going to, being invited to a youth group when I was in high school, and, and I went there, and I remember going and, and you know, enjoying it, but... Um, I remember praying and all these things, but then I just kind of fell away and and didn't really ever get plugged in or anything like that. And so it it became this thing where there was a desire there, but I just never stuck with it. And what would have happened if no one had ever invited me to church after that? What would have happened if when we've tried things, someone invited us and we said no, if no one invited us again, even if it wasn't the same people? But this ability to be able to invite people and to bring them in is so vital. Because yes, they may say no today, but that doesn't mean they'll say no forever. Now as we've done at the end of the sermon for each week, is that we kind of focus in for those of you who have this style. And we passed out an assessment earlier in the series. And so uh, if you haven't taken that assessment yet, um, you know, we can get that copy to you so that you can take it and get some information there. But this is a time in which we look at five different points for, for those of us who have the invitational style, which means that not everyone does. But it's important for us to still learn, either so that we can understand other people better, so we can, or we can understand ourselves better in how we reach people. So the strength for the invitational style is that your hospitable and enthusiastic personality will help draw people to you and to Jesus through you. That oftentimes people who have this invitational style, the reason they can invite people and the reason people will trust them is because... There's something about their personalities where they're warm, they're trustworthy, they're hospitable, they're enthusiastic. It's like, you have to come see about this sunrise. You have to come see about my drawings. You have to come see about this restaurant or this movie or whatever it is. And because someone is so passionate and excited and enthusiastic about it, that someone says, okay, I don't even, I don't even like sunrises, which is no one ever. But decided, but I'll do it, you know, because you're so excited, I'll, I'll look. Calm down. Um But it's one of those where, because of that, it'll help draw people to you. And the most important point is that you don't just let that stop there. That you don't just let it be something where they're drawn to you, but that you draw people to Jesus through that. That it becomes less about you and all about Christ, but people will trust you and come alongside you. And it's not that we betray that trust, we don't do a bait and switch like we talked about last week. But through that trust, through that invitation, through that opportunity to pour into people, people might be drawn to Jesus. And we can just do our best to invite them to come and see about him. The blind spot. Don't pass up, speak up. Don't pass up, speak up. What does this mean? This means that the blind spot for this type of style of of evangelism is the idea that they're gonna, you might pass up a very obvious, clear, perhaps God-ordained opportunity to share with someone because you think, or we think with the style, that we think that we're not the experts. We, we don't have all the answers. We, we don't know how to do it. So So I'm, I, I don't know everything, but I'm just going to bring you to the, to the person who does or the church that does. And that's a good thing to invite, but it's a bad thing for us never to speak up. Because in order for us to invite someone and to share what God has done, they need to hear what God has done. They need to hear how he's changed our lives. And so instead of being like, uh, as an example, hey, would you like to come to our Easter service? Well, I don't know. I, I, I came to Easter when I was younger. I don't really know. Like, what it, why is Easter important to you? Uh, I don't know, but there's going to be food, right? Like, that isn't necessarily going to be the best way to invite them. Don't pass up a clear opportunity to share. Instead... Speak up when you have those opportunities to share. Instead, it's more the idea of, oh my gosh, God has changed my life. I once was blind, but now I see. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I struggled with X, Y, Z, and God has healed me from X, Y, Z, and now I move forward. I mean, there are testimonial styles of leadership that as we see in this passage in John 4, testimonial and invitational can work so well together. But that means that we can't pass up. We must speak up. What's a caution? A caution for this style of uh, of evangelism is just to don't get discouraged if people say no. Their no today may be a yes tomorrow. That sometimes we work up the courage again. We're we're afraid because we don't want to ruin the relationship or we're not sure what to say or we're not sure what to do. So we go from fear and we work up the courage to boldness in order to invite someone. And then when when they say no, all of a sudden we just retract ourselves and say, well, then I I tried. I never am going to do that again. Because there's fear. But when there's fear, we look at 1 John 14, that perfect love drives out fear. That 2 Timothy 1.7 says that God did not give us a spirit of fear or timidity, but a spirit of power and love and self-discipline. That we aren't called to live in fear, but that we could have that power and that love and that self-discipline to share the truth with people who are far from him. And so having someone say no to you, if you invite them, it may not feel good but ceasing to ask them any more is much worse. We looked at a strength, a blind spot, a caution, a suggestion. The next one, put yourself in their shoes and invite them to events that will meet them where they are. What does this mean? This means that you might have a friend or family member, neighbor, coworker, fellow student and classmate. You might have someone that um, they're kind of interested in just, you know, finding out about it. But if you were to do that and you were to invite them to, um, I don't know, like an all-night prayer night or something like that, which is a great thing, but that might be a, big of a, a bit of a jump. That might be like, hey, I'm in first gear and you just jump to fifth gear and that stalls me out and I don't want to keep going. Right? So it's one of those where find events that might be either applicable to where they are or where they are in their faith or where they are in their stage of life. So for example, yesterday we had the exciting Easter party. And that's a great way for maybe a family wouldn't come to a church on a Sunday morning, but if a friend invites them to a Easter party um, on a Saturday morning, they might be more apt to come, which might open the door for them to attend on a Sunday at some point. That on Friday, we had the PCC Mom Life event, or we've had the salt prayer uh, morning, or sorry, the salt group on um, Tuesday mornings, or prayer night. Like there's other ways in which we might invite people to something smaller to open the door, that maybe someone goes to PCC Mom Life, finds a community, and maybe they don't even attend the church, but they say, hey, through this community, I'm more open to Jesus, and then I'll maybe go to church. That maybe it's the men's round table on Sunday, on Saturday mornings. Maybe it's kids praise and the kids may not want to go, parents may not want their kids to go to a church, but maybe if they're in a play and the kids love to sing and dance and recite lines, that that's an open door. So again, it's this idea of finding events, finding opportunities that will meet people where they are. Put yourself in their shoes. And if they don't know Jesus yet, they probably won't want to go to an all night prayer night. They'll probably want to find a way in which it's an easy first step. It's easy first gear. Let us not take them from first to fifth right away. And then lastly, encouragement. You may not feel equipped. Remember we talked about earlier this idea of, well, only the professionals. I'm going to invite someone. What has Jesus done in your life? Uh, I don't know, but come to Easter. You may not feel equipped to close the deal, but you are absolutely equipped to open their eyes. That you might not feel available to say, I don't know all the right words. Or what if I pray the sinner's prayer with them and I get the words wrong? Or what if I don't know how to, how to handle their questions? And so I feel like I have to take them to a professional. Here's the thing. The idea that only a few chosen people that, you know, get paid to be on a church staff or certain pastors. The idea that, for example, me being the only one that can reach people in your lives is a faulty one because you have relationships with people that I will never have. Your family members, your children, your parents, your siblings, your coworkers, your classmates, your neighbors, I don't live everywhere you live, I don't work everywhere you work, I'm obviously not in all of your families, and so you have an opportunity to reach people that I never will, and yes, part of that will be inviting them to church, because church is a vital part of walking with Jesus, because community is a vital part Of walking with Jesus, but they need to hear it from you. That you may not feel equipped to close the deal, but you can absolutely open their eyes. Open their eyes to the change in your life by sharing your testimony. Open their minds by dialoguing through the uh, apologetics and things like that. Open up their hearts to recognizing the story of how God has changed your life. You can open up their eyes. And so, you might be the person who plants the seed. You might be the one that invites them, and that plants the seed that then you get to see the fruit of later on. And that is a holy part of the process of bringing people to Jesus that some plant the seeds, some water them, but God brings about the growth. And so, as we close, I've shared the story a little while ago, but. Uh, it's the story of Steph, my wife, when she was working at a a dental office. And it's this idea of when she invited a a, a woman to come to uh, Trunk or Treat, which at our time was our, it was a large church event where uh, the huge parking lot had different trunks. And you've heard of this. Um, And so it's during Halloween. And so instead of Trick or Treat, Trunk or Treat, play on words, very clever. And it's one of those where you invite them to that. And so she, her family came to that. But When we would invite them to Easter or we invite them to church, she would say, she just said no. And she politely declined. And then I shared with you how last year this woman sent a message to Steph saying that, you know, you invited me to so many different things. And I said, no, but I just want you to know that how you lived and your invitations helped me to come to know Jesus. And now I'm walking with him. And so Steph didn't close the deal. She wasn't the one there that when the, when the growth happened, she got to harvest it, but she helped plant the seeds that she invited her to an event that would seem applicable to her family, trunk or treat. And yes, invited her to, to services as well, but she politely declined. But again, the no today is not a no forever. The no today could be a yes tomorrow. And so just this idea of not hovering in fear and, and not making it this thing where it's like, Oh my gosh, I don't know if I can do this instead, man, Recognize that perfect love drives out fear. Recognize that we don't have a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and self-discipline. Recognize that we have an opportunity to share with people what God has done in our lives. And when we love someone and we love what God has done in our lives and we love other people, we want those whom we love to experience that which we love. And it may be easier to invite someone to come see a cat outside of a window, to come see a drawing, to come see a sunset but it's eternal to invite them to come and see more about Jesus. That before people come to faith in Jesus, they may need someone to invite them to come and see more about him. Father, we thank you so much for who you are, and we thank you that you are here in this place. I thank you for each and every person that is here, God. And I I know that some people might be invited here today, and um, maybe they don't even know where they are with you yet in their relationship. And so here they are coming and listening to a sermon about inviting other people. And that might feel a little, a little off to them, Lord, but we know that you know that this is a week that they're supposed to be here. So God, I pray that they would hear the love that you have for people. I pray that they would hear the love that you have for them. I pray for us, Lord, that when it comes to this idea of sharing our faith, that um, inviting people, that we would be able to not hover in fear, but to be able to be bold and invite them And even if we feel like we're not the professionals to close the deal, Lord, may may you strip us of that idea, recognizing that all of us have been equipped to open their eyes, and all of us have been equipped to be part of the journey of bringing people far from God, near to God, so they may become fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. So Lord, we love you. We thank you for who you are, for the example we see from the woman at the well. Lord, we pray that many people would believe because of our testimony, and that even more so even more people would believe because they responded to our invitation for them to see and come and see about you, Lord. And it's in Jesus' holy and precious name we pray. Amen. So we've been spending the past six weeks going through the Share Your Style uh, series, and, and we very intentionally chose this series to be right before Easter. That We're talking intentionally about invitational style today, right before Easter. Because the truth of the matter is, is that we've decided to follow Jesus. There's no turning back. And part of that, a very strong part of that, involves sharing our faith with those around us. By being such lights to people in a dark world that we would shine like stars in a crooked and depraved generation. That people would see our good deeds and give our Heavenly Father glory and praise that we wouldn't get glory, but that we would give the glory to God. And so for us, whatever style of evangelism you have, whatever that looks like, I'm going to ask that you would just be prayerfully considering who it might be that God might be asking you to invite this week to Easter. Yes, it's not the be-all, end-all, but you can help open their eyes. You could be may not be the be-all, end-all. You can share the reason for your faith. And so inviting them to Easter might be a great step, especially on the heels of the sermon we're talking about this morning. So I pray that as you go this morning, that you don't hover in fear, that you step forth in boldness, that you speak the truth in love, and that whatever style of evangelism you have, that you are sharing that, not just this week, yes, this week, not just this week, but all 51 other weeks of the year in which people far from God need to learn more about the love that Jesus has for them. So that they can have a right relationship with him. So that Good Friday is no longer the end of their story, but that Easter Sunday is coming and everything changes with the resurrection. Thank you all so much for coming this morning. We cannot wait to see you. Good Friday services at seven o'clock this coming Friday and Easter services at nine and 1030 with the Easter brunch at 10 a.m. Thank you all so much for coming. God bless you all. Have a great week.